that are proud of me. I yeah. want her to, you know, want to respect me and look up to me. Just when I'm speaking to her, I look up instead of down like you would to a normal 12-year-old. Hello and welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am so glad that you are here. If you are here for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad that you have found me. If you have been with me before, a huge welcome back to you. This podcast is a place, it's a platform where I have been spreading awareness, connecting and supporting those that have experienced the struggles of infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. We talk about feeling alone, isolated, the grief and where to find support. I hold space here where professionals share how they can support you and those that have personally have experienced infertility or loss can share their stories to connect and give support to others. Your healing and happiness is very important to me. My listeners and clients have shared that they feel like they are not sure what to do. Their relationships are hard. They're feeling alone and isolated, feeling like no one understands and their needs are not being heard. I hear you. I see you. And we talk about them. We're spreading awareness and giving you a voice. If hope and healing is what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. Hello, Crystal. Welcome to Labor Pains Podcast. I am so glad that you've been able to join me today for this episode. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am excited. We met, gosh, a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago at the Bereaved Parent, uh, what is it called? Bereaved Parent Conference. Is that right? Bereaved Parent Conference in St. Louis. Um, and obviously we were both there for the same reason to support ourselves as bereaved parents. And then also, um, those others that were there. And I know you were one of the key note speakers and you did a breakout. And so really at the breakouts where I met you and I'm so thankful that I did. If anyone wants information on that organization, either one of us can share that with you. So before we get started and you sharing your story, first share with the listeners, who is Crystal? Um, isn't that kind of a loaded question? <laughs> it's very loaded. That's why I love to ask it. <laughs> um, so I like to give myself a lot of titles because I can't just pinpoint one. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm a wife to Kyle. I'm an auntie to my four beautiful nephews. I don't think they, they're young enough that they can still be called beautiful. Okay. Wade, Bo, Reed, and Dutton. Mm. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I'm a mentor. I'm a co-founder of the company. But the, the title that I hold closest to my heart and will always hold closest to my heart is mama my mm -hmm. Madeline Elizabeth yes 
Yes. And that's so why I come have, out. Yep. And if I had to pick just one, it would be mama. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what do you do for fun, spare time, hobbies, anything? Oh, um, I don't know what spare time is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, right now, I am building. I am, uh, in our house, we call it fashioning or MacGyvering. Mm. So I have taken um, like microphone stands with those, uh, I think they're called goosenecks, like the bendy microphone. Sure. Yeah. And attached a bowl to it, like a cooking bowl. Okay. And a flower shaped yard sign that, you know, like the political yeah. yard signs. Yeah. Made a giant flower out of it. Oh, and I'm going to make a bunch of, well, three to five of them. So I made one to make sure it works. And now that I know that it works, I'm going to make three or four more of them. And oh. I just get these, I love to come up with these harebrained ideas and then um, see if I can make them happen. Cool. So very creative, it sounds like. I, I try. I don't think yeah. I'm that creative, but. Apparently, really? other people seem to think I am. <laughs> By what you just described, I'd say, yes, you are. <laughs> Own that, I girl. Of, I have a lot of help around me. My husband is super handy. My, my side of the family is super handy. His side of the family is super handy. So if I don't know how to do it, I know someone that knows how to do it That's or how true. to solve a problem. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's important to have those people around us. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, here on Labor Pain, we share stories of infertility and loss. And I know that you already spoke about um, Madeline. Um, and that was a loss that you had. And so I would love, uh, if you would, share your story um, of becoming, did you say mama? Mama. Share that story with us, please. Um, yeah, so, so Madeline would be 12 this year. Okay. Because she is May 19th. <clears throat> so um, I found out I was pregnant on Halloween mm -hmm. 2009. Mm -hmm. So I told Kyle, my husband, that he had to dress up as a daddy for Halloween. <laughs> and he was all confused and you know as of course he was um but yeah so I found out I was pregnant on Halloween mm -hmm. and our pregnancy was my, my pregnancy was normal you know mm -hmm. I'm I'm a bigger girl I had some some extra weight on me mm -hmm. um but you know, levels were good and numbers were fine. And I wasn't gaining weight, but, you know, I was trying to eat healthier and sure. I had a lot of morning sickness. So I, what I was eating didn't really stay where it was supposed to all the time. <laughs> um, and we... Um, Did you have trouble becoming pregnant? Was it a surprise? Was this kind of planned? No, um, it was kind of like, okay, it was, it was always kind of like, at some point, okay, 
let's get, let, you know, we're going to have a family. We sure. didn't really have like a, a time frame. We had been married for three, a little over three years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and baby rabies had kind of hit us. Okay. <laughs> you know, every, everywhere, everything we saw was, oh, these are not cute. No, I need those baby shoes. And oh, look at this. And with that the nursery and that, yeah. Yeah. And so baby rabies hit us both very hard. Um, and we kind of knew it was time. Mm-hmm. And, and then turn around and I was pregnant. <laughs> Um, and I know that's not the case for everyone. No, no, but thankful, you know, for those that it's, it's easy like that, you yeah. know, that... Um, so yeah, we, we got pregnant very easy mm-hmm. and, um, it was pretty routine up mm-hmm. to 32 ish weeks. Okay. Um, and at the time, you know, and granted, this was 12 years ago, and the story has probably changed in my mind. Sure. I've made it what I, what I think it was. Well, and, and probably what you can remember, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What was most vivid. Um, yes. So what I remember is the doctor saying, hey, you know, um, normally we don't get to do another ultrasound but your insurance will cover it so go see your baby again and so you know I went in for another ultrasound and Kyle mm-hmm. went with me in 32 weeks and we were so excited and we went in and you know the technician was looking around and looking around and everything was fine and we heard the heartbeat and it was great and And then she says, hold on, I'll be right back. Mm. You're like, what? Huh? And she left the room. She could have been gone for five minutes or five years. Mm -hmm. And she came, when she came back into the room, um, she said, your doctor wants to talk to you. Um, if you'll, you know, get unslimy and put your clothes back on and go across town to her office, mm-hmm. um, she's waiting for you. And by this time, it's 530, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not going to get there until six. Like, oh, this is mm. not good. You know, a doctor being at the, waiting for you at the doctor's office until six o'clock. Um, and so we went over there. I don't remember going over there. I just remember walking in, like being ushered into the doctor's office and back into an exam room. And almost immediately, my doctor coming in with big red eyes and saying, we don't know what's going on, but it's not good. Mm. We have specialists set up for you tomorrow. We'll find out more tomorrow, but go home, get some rest. And we'll just have to see what happens tomorrow. So did she give you any indication what 
she thought was going on? Honestly, I don't remember. Okay. Well, just that initial. Yeah. Um, at some point in time, we figured out that her brain hadn't fully developed. Okay. And so I believe spinal fluid was building up and increasing the size of her head. Mm. Um, so her head was rather large. Okay. So they said, well, there's nothing we can do. Her brain, her brain isn't formed enough to tell her heart to beat and her lungs to breathe and her feet to walk. You're like, mm -hmm. you are keeping her alive. Mm. And at some point along the road, I found out like they should have been able to catch it at like 12 weeks or at an earlier ultrasound. Okay. Um, and they didn't for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, I'm glad they didn't. We would have had to make really hard decisions. Yes. And I'm glad I didn't because I don't know what those decisions would have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and looking back at that, just in my head, what's kind of popping out is all that extra time that you got to spend carrying her. Pretty special. So then what happened at that point? You kind of were told what was going on, kind of the diagnosis. And I assume we that there were given some options at that point. Yep. Um, so we were told, you know, this is not going to end well. Um, she, she could. And up until we found out she wasn't going to survive, we did not want to know. You know, we had a boy's name and a girl's name picked out and the nursery was yellow and Dr. Seuss and we didn't want to know. We want, you know, happy and healthy. As long as, as long as they're happy and healthy, that's all sure. we care about. Sorry. Yeah. You know, well, I guess we're not getting happy and healthy. Yeah. Um, so at that point, we're like, okay, we want to know. We want to call this baby by its name. And mm -hmm. and love them like like they deserve to be loved. Sure. And that's when we found out she was a girl, Madeline Elizabeth. Um. And so our options were um, go across state lines and have a very late term termination. Hmm. Um. be induced or continue the pregnancy as long as possible. All, all hard decisions. Yes. Path to take, yeah. for sure. Um, and no matter which of those, any of those, we didn't know if she was going to be born alive or not. Yeah. And we didn't know in what condition she would arrive in. 
Sure. Um, and so we opted to go as long as possible. Okay. So were you given a time frame? Um, I'm sure I would assume that they didn't pressure you to make that decision right then. Did they give you time to think about that or do you remember? I'm sure they probably did. I don't remember them yeah. really pressuring us, but I don't remember it really being a decision I had to think about. Okay. I remember, I, I very vividly remember the two of us asking the questions to get all the information that we felt like we needed. Sure. And also kind of knowing the answer. That made sense. Mm -hmm. Um, like I think we we both had made our decision before really asking the questions to get more answers, but we felt we needed to get more answers. Okay. But you were both both of your decisions um, when you the two of you talked, they were the same. Um, and so we continued the pregnancy for another, well, 19 days. Okay. And I think I was monitored like every other day or so. Mm -hmm. I, think I went in, they did an ultrasound or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was pretty much like I went in maybe on the 18th and they're like, okay, we'll see you at 7 a.m. tomorrow morning for your C-section. Oh, okay. Um, and they did tell us it would be a classic, C I would have to have a classic C-section because of the size of Madeline's head. Okay. okay. Um, there was no other option at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, I didn't force, I mean, I probably could have pushed back. I probably could have asked questions. I probably could have argued. I, I didn't care. Yeah, well, <clears throat> just logically, in, in my logical brain, I'm like, well, of course, that would be the best if her, if her head is large of vaginal delivery. In my head, I would think, Okay, she may not survive that. If she's still alive, I want her. I want to hold her alive, and I don't want it to be painful for her. You know, with a vaginal that that's what goes through my head. I have no idea what went through your head, but logically, that's what I'd be like. Okay, that makes sense. That it's a C-section. And honestly, I don't know that anything went through my head. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. I mean. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot to take in and to process, for sure. So how did you process all of that and what did you do those 19 days? Um, the, the doctor gave us a lot of pamphlets. Okay. That for the most part, that, so here's another interesting tidbit. So we moved into the house that I'm currently in right now. The day before we found out Madeline was not gonna survive. Mm 
Mm. You bought this house for her. Mm. And so we were in chaos. We were in physical chaos, in mental chaos, in emotional chaos. Wow. It was a mess over here. Um, and so, like, we just had piles of junk everywhere, you know, just moving. Just, sure. Just, just moving stuff. Um, and so I remember getting, you know, lots of pamphlets and handouts and, you know, call this church and these people will give you prayer cards and call this hospice if you want history. And honestly, I didn't read any of that. Yeah. Um, luckily, my Kyle did and called the local children's hospice okay. and um, a social worker came to our house every couple days mm. and just kind of talked to us and said and just asked us questions you know do you want to have a funeral do you want to have for wearing something special mm. um, and our family really really as my mom would say circled the wagons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my mother-in-law who loves to shop went out and bought way too many beautiful dresses mm. and my mother who embroiders once we picked one out embroidered Maddie's name on it and you know all kinds uh, of things on it um, my father-in-law is a woodworker he built Madeline's casket mm. you know wow. just, just things like that that meant so much to me yeah <laughs> And even, I mean, even 12 years later, just everyone kind of did what they do best. And it was perfect. Well, and, and as someone that um, works with clients um, that are grieving, so what I picked up from that is is it all of those are kind of ways to process the beginning stages of those that grief, um, doing what they can do. Um, for a mother to do something like that, we call that mothering. It's a way to mother that child. And I would say for them, it is a way for them to, to grandparent that child. Um, and so those are all just beautiful things, just very touching and beautiful. So I'm sure those 19 days were very long. Very long and super, super short. Um, yeah, I don't, I remember a lot of sitting on the couch and just kind of staring. And 
sometimes there were people around me and sometimes there weren't. And then sometimes I would sit on that side of the couch and stare. And sometimes I would be on that side of the couch and stare. And sometimes mm. the TV would be on and sometimes it wouldn't. And, but, you know, I was not. I You couldn't hold a conversation. Don't try to have a conversation with me. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, it was knowing the my time was very limited. Mm -hmm. Really changed my perspective. Mm. Explain that. Just you know, up until up until Madeline's diagnosis, it was everything was top priority. Mm, okay. You know, oh, I have to I I have to have internet in this house so that we can function. Oh, um, you know, this sofa needs to be over there. Or why are these clothes in the living room and not upstairs? Or you know, those kind of things. Like, who cares? Yeah, yeah. I have a roof over my head. I have love in my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go hungry. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, priorities. Mm -hmm. Definitely shifted. So then delivery, you were scheduled for a C-section. Share, share that, those, that time. Share those moments with us. So... I just remember going into a room and putting on a robe and sitting there for a very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like I got there at 7 a.m. and finally went into the operating room at like four in the afternoon. I don't think mm -hmm. it was actually that long, <laughs> but it sure felt like it. That's how it feels. Like, yes. why do you need me there so right. far ahead? <laughs> to wait um, and everyone was there mm. everyone showed up my I found my parents his parents grandparents aunts and uncles siblings friends mm. um, our priest was there to baptize Madeline um we had a photographer there, mm. which I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have her there. Sure. And it is not something, it, it was one of those, she called me and said, I'm going to be there. It was, it was somber, but it was just kind of, we just kind of jibber jabbered. That's all I really remember. Just spending time. Mm -hmm. Just being there, just being physically there together. Sure. Um, and then they wheeled me back and gave me my happy shot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And did all the things, whatever they, you know, mm -hmm. I felt a bunch of pressure. And, and then Kyle showed up with his little bundle of joy. Mm. 
she didn't really make a lot of noise. She didn't, you know, she she didn't have that scream that you hear in the, you know, that you expect to hear things with all the babies and stuff. She was most adorable, but you know, I just stared at her. <laughs> sure. Forever. I don't know how long they kept me in that room to sew me all back up, but again, it it felt like it could have been another 10 hours. So because you said she made noises, she was born alive. Yes, she was born alive. And and she moved a little bit. Mm -hmm. She was she was content. I like to think she was just content. Mm -hmm. She didn't need anything. She was kind of just chilling. And at one point the priest came in to baptize her. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who's in the medical field, came in and just kind of made sure, made sure everything was okay. You know, like sure. a dad does. <laughs> um, I think we were very lucky that she looked beautiful. Mm. You know, she was fully formed. Um, She had a, a, a large head in the back. Um, okay. I think they said her body was maybe the size of a 39, no, like 32 week baby. Okay. And her head was the size of like a 52 week baby. Okay. Um, her head was much bigger than her body. Okay. But she had ten fingers and ten toes, and mm. you know, all of all of the things that a baby could need. Sure. So they've got you all sewed up and everything. Did they then move you to another room where others could visit, or was that just you and Kyle, or kind of share and and you know how long? How long did she live? Kind of all of those questions. I'm sure that. Um, I think they wheeled us. They wheeled me back into the the room that I was initially in with everybody. Okay. And I don't remember. I feel like there was a little bit of time that we were. It was just Kyle and I. Good. Good. And then everybody came in mm -hmm. and got to hold her and see her and lots of pictures and. Mm -hmm. um, professional pictures and camera. I I have plenty of pictures from my BlackBerry. <laughs> BlackBerry at the sure, time. sure. And like a point and shoot actual camera. Sure. Um. And people just kind of hung around and hung, chitted and chatted and hung around and um. And then they wheeled me back to a like a room where I could sleep because I was gonna stay several nights. Mm -hmm. I don't I think maybe on Thursday, Friday, Saturday or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Um and that was like the birthing room and then you know they moved me to a different room. Um and so once everybody left there, we went to another room. And I'm I'm hopped up on morphine at this point. I mean, the whole time I've been hopped up on morphine. So and you know haven't eaten in 
many, many hours and haven't had anything to drink in many, many hours. So I am doing literally everything I can to stay awake. Mm. And I am failing miserably. So, um, so a lot of Madeline's life on sleep. She was born May 19th and she died May 20th. So how many hours did you say? Um so I'm not I'm not exactly sure on the math to be okay. Okay. honest. But I say she lived for eight hours. Okay. Okay. But her day of birth is the nineteenth and her day of death is the twentieth. Okay. And and that is huge for me. Because I get to celebrate her birthday and have cake and ice cream and do all those things. Mm. And I don't have to get out of bed on the 20th. I don't want to. Yeah. And so when she passed, was it just you and Kyle or were people still there? It was just Kyle and I. Nice. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I watched. She was in. I mean, she was laying on me. Sure. Watched her turn blue and felt her turn get cold. And they put her in her little bassinet thing and wheeled her off. Mm-hmm. So you didn't keep her with you much past the time, that time when she passed away, or did you keep her for a couple more hours? We kept her for a few more hours. Okay. Um, yeah. Our, our parents did come back the next morning. Okay. And they got to say goodbye. Our parents and um, siblings, not not everybody, but sure, our immediate family came back. So, sure. Sure. so yeah, we did for a little while. Good, good. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of support, you know, for those nineteen weeks, you know, through the delivery. Um, there at the hospital, which is huge to have that amount of support for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, did that support continue for you for a long period of time, or yeah, it did. Good, good, good. Um, and in a lot of ways, it grew. I had friends that would come, you know, um, because it was summer time, I have a lot of teach friends. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I'm coming to pick you up and we're going to Target. And we're just going to Target. And I'm putting you in one of those rolly wheelchairs and we're just going to roll around Target <laughs> for an hour or something and then you can go home. Or I'm coming over with movies and we're going to watch really bad 90s movies and eat popcorn. Nice. And you were okay with that? Them just saying, this is what we're, what I'm going to do? Yeah. Good. Probably the, the piece of advice that I give people is don't say, how can I help or what can I do? Say, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this. Okay. You know, and kind of give them the out. Like, I'm going to bring you dinner. Okay. And if they don't want you to bring them dinners, I'll say no. 
you know, just like, no, I got, I got dinner or no, I have everything I need from Target or, you know, now's not a good day to come over. Maybe you can do it in a couple days or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, but don't give them another thing to have to worry about. Come up with Well, and that's what, with clients, that's kind of what I have heard, you know, or give two options. You know, would you like me to bring you some coffee or would you like to go out for coffee? Or would you like to go for a walk or do you want me to just come over and sit with you? You know, like, so that there's not a whole lot of thinking. Um, It's this or that sort sort of a thing, which is kind of the same what you said, like, you know, I'm coming over to take you to Target. Okay, you know, and then giving you the option of uh, that's either a yes or or a no. So not just saying like you like you indicated, what do you need? The brain's not processing. Yeah, they're not processing all of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So yes, I'm glad that you said that. That you know that's great advice for people. For sure, for sure. So let's go back to um, Madeline was delivered. You needed to stay in the hospital for several days. Um, the hospice uh, nurse person talked you to you about a funeral, no funeral. Um, what did you decide? So once you did, did you wait? What what did you decide to do with Madeline? body so we did have a funeral okay um it was maybe the next weekend or okay a week and a half late i don't remember it was relatively close together okay um and then we had her cremated okay and she lives in a little box, in a, in a little urn that looks like a gift box because she is okay. our on my nightstand with her pink turtle. And I say goodnight to her every night. Mm. And when I travel, she comes with me. Okay. And if she can't come with me because I fly or, you know, whatever, she goes to grandma's house. Okay. Because she's 12, and a 12-year-old cannot stay home by herself multiple mm. nights. <laughs> I'm glad that you shared that, because that is something that people talk about. You know, like, what do we do? You know, if the child is cremated, what what do we do? We don't want to leave. Um the urn or whatever they're cupping at home, um, but maybe we can't take with, like, how do we navigate that? What, how do we do that? And it, and I really do think, and I'll share this, that it is a personal preference, mm-hmm. you know, of what is best for you, what you want to do. There's no right, there's no wrong. Um, yes can stay home, you know, um, as you travel, um, but perfectly fine, you know, for you to take 
uh, the, the Crimeans with you. Oh, yeah. And, and we had her cremated because I felt like a burial is for someone that can take care of themselves. Mm. It's for, you know, grandma and grandpa. They've lived a nice long life and they, they know how to function on their own. Mm -hmm. Take care of themselves. Madeline needs her mom. Mm. Be close to her mom, mm. and and that's just, again that's a personal preference thing. Yeah, everyone does things differently. Uh, there is no wrong way. There is no right way. Yeah, that's just how I felt, and I mean, I clearly I still do feel that way. That's how I feel, and mm -hmm. that was the right decision for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And continues to be the, the right decision yeah. for you. For you. So you talked about, I can't remember if it was your dad or your father-in-law that built um, a casket for her. Do you still have that? Is that somewhere in your home? We actually have the casket cremated with her cremated with her okay yeah um we have pictures of it somewhere in this house okay again i i know i saw it i know that the casket at one point was in this house mm -hmm. like physically in this house um i don't remember a lot of it sure sure and at but, some point if you want to remember you yeah dig out dig out the pictures right. you know and find those pictures. But a lot of times, even the pictures of her and all the people around her, sometimes those are just put away and just brought out at certain times when they're needed. So working previously at a funeral home for many, many years, that's kind of why I asked some of those questions um, of you, because I'm very familiar, I guess, with, with, that, with that piece, with that, that part of um, options and things that are done and so yeah yeah so yeah I just felt that way one I felt I felt you know crazy like having her casket like what do you do with it hmm. like do you make it a sofa table like here please put your coffee on my daughter's casket yeah we put legs on it now it's now it's a coffee table yeah yeah yeah, I mean, there probably could be something yeah. uh, symbolic, a memento, you know. Um, so that's why I asked, you know. Right. Um, not sure I would do a coffee table with this, but, you know, there could have been, you know, something. I'm sure it wasn't very, very large. So, so yeah. But, yeah. It just felt, it, it felt right. And that's perfect. However it felt. You know, for you is perfect yeah. for what you did, for yeah. sure. So, um, had the funeral, all of that, had the cremains with you all the time. So, share with me was it determined um, Madeline's condition? Was this something that was a fluke? Was this genetic? Like, 
did the doctors indicate anything to you of why, what happened? So after Madeline died, they did an autopsy. Okay. To find out what had happened. Mm -hmm. And she had a chromosomal imbalance. Okay. So if you remember chromosomes from like high school chemistry or whatever, you have pairs of chromosomes. Mm -hmm. Is it 26 maybe? I don't know. High school has been a long time ago for me. <laughs> that that's kind of that kind of sounds right, but you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I could Google it. So. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. But, but basically, to have a complete puzzle person, uh -huh. I kind of think of it as a puzzle, like a, a whole person has pairs of these chromosomes, let's, yes. let's say 26. Yes. So when you go to make a new human, you give one half of your chromosomes, so you give one of your ones and one of your twos and one of your threes mm -hmm. and one of your fours, mm -hmm. and your partner does the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Madeline, and then those two connect, and then you have an, a new person. Well, Madeline didn't have enough of her fifth chromosome and had too much of her 13th chromosome, mm. which meant that her brain didn't have all the right pieces to form a complete brain. Okay. And they said, well, you know, sometimes that's just a fluke. Something yeah. mixed up in the, I mean, yeah, making a person is hard work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot mm -hmm. of things that have to go right to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It could just be a fluke, or it could be an issue with one of her parents. Mm -hmm. Genetics. It could be a genetic thing. The only way to know that is to test her parents, which is Kyle and I. We said, okay, we 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 want to know if it's a fluke or genetic, because it it will determine how we move forward. Sure. Um, you know, if you want to give Madeline siblings. Um, but we don't want to know which of us it is. Okay. So we either want to know, yes, it's a fluke, or yes, it's genetic, not yes, it's genetic, and it is this person. So we both got tested, and I think it was like a blood draw or something. It wasn't tough. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, well, it's not a fluke. It is genetic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means for every 100 times you get pregnant, 99 of them will end poorly. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. So we felt like really our only option was to go straight to IVF. Um, and so we started going down that path. So that yeah. just for the audience, so that the embryos could be tested. Yes, so we could do 
day three and day five testing. Most, mm -hmm. most of the time when you do IVF, you do day three or day five testing. We were doing both. Okay. Um, and for some, and you know, 10 years ago, I could have told you exactly why, and I could have told you exactly, you know, what they were testing day three and day five. I can't tell you anyway. Um, so we had gotten about a month into that process. And I woke up in the middle of the night, screaming bloody murder. I killed my daughter, I killed my daughter, I killed my daughter. How am I gonna live? I killed my daughter. Mm. I knew, I just knew in my gut that I was the one with the genetic disorder, mm. the genetic abnormality. And it was me that gave the issue to Madeline. Mm. And after a nice long, we'll call it discussion uh, with Kyle, I said, okay, well, if you're gonna beat yourself up about this anyway, we're, the doctors are gonna tell us. Because either you're going to beat yourself up because you're wrong, or you're going to beat yourself up because you're right. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're going to beat yourself up. Yeah. So, and I was right. I have a 513 translocation. Um, so I have all the right puzzle pieces to be a person, but they're in the wrong location. So when you go to split them up to make a person, a new person, mm -hmm. I don't give all the right pieces. Then we really said, okay, you know, IVF is the way to go. And um, because the other options just didn't offer that additional testing to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, and, and our insurance, we were very lucky insurance helped us with some of the expenses. It's still very expensive, whether you have insurance or not. Um, but insurance helped us with three rounds of IVF. We said, okay, after three rounds, we're done. We're gonna try okay. three times. And once insurance runs out, we have to be done. Um, and so we tried three times in four states with five doctors. Wow. Um, and Madeline is still our only child. After Madeline died, we jumped headfirst into IVF. Sure. Basically, the universe tried to say, no, you can't have kids. And we're like, mm. I'm a child of the 90s. <laughs> I'm going to prove if I do anything hard enough, if I want anything hard enough, I just try and I get it. You know, okay. <laughs> I am a, spe a special snowflake, and I get everything <laughs> I want if I just try hard enough. Um, and so we jumped right in, and we thought, you know, I'm just gonna try hard, and then then I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we decided we needed to take a break. We we had gone through 
several lifetimes of emotions and several lifetimes of the grief roller coaster mm -hmm. in four or five years. And we needed to kind of stop and unpack and kind of decompress and see where we were. Mm. Because we didn't do that after Madeline. Mm. We just kind of said, we, we just basically were like, we're, we're gonna avenge Madeline's death. Mm. Um, and so we took a step back and we said, okay, you know, let's let's revisit this when we're ready to. Mm -hmm. And we saw, I mean, we saw a counselor and still see a counselor and saw a counselor before Madeline. Like I'm sure. I'm a big proponent of professional counseling um, and coaching and mentorship and all of the things. Sure. And there's a lot of baggage there. I have a lot of guilt and grief mm. and resistance and heartache. And for years, I think we made our decision by not making a decision. Mm. Because neither of us We're willing to push the other one mm. enough to start rolling down the hill, if that makes sense. It does. Like, I think we both, if we both were like, sure, okay, if you want it, but neither of us wanted it so much that we were willing to really work for it. Well, it's almost like, um, you probably both wanted to make sure that there was no regret that we didn't try everything and the and the it was not going to be easy and what you said like we jumped right in i think that's very very common for a young couple that wants to start a family wants to have a family like we just push away a lot of times any grief, feeling, all of that. We push that down. We keep it pushed down. Don't deal with it because the goal is to have a family. And a lot of times as we, as we, as they move through um, the years, that grief will seep start seeping and seeping until it's like, okay, you, you, you got to deal with me now. And you probably felt that to some extent after, um, and especially too, going through IVF and, and that not working, then com compounds on top of that original grief is now this other grief, like from no success with IVF with, what did you say, four different doctors? I can't remember the number you said, but I mean, so many 
um, like I don't want I hate calling them failures, but don't know what other words to use. It then there's grief attached to every single one of them. So now we've got the original grief, and now we got all this other grief. The grief of I've I've done I did this to her. This is my fault. Like the guilt from that. Like it's all compounding on on top. And so to really even make a decision at that point is difficult. So it was probably really, um, you needed to kind of really, I think both of you step back and just start to really start the grieving, the grieving of all of that, a grieving process of all of that. Absolutely. Madeline is still your only, mm-hmm. but you said at the very beginning, you're an amazing aunt, it sounds like, to... <laughs> The four beautiful children, like you described them, four beautiful children, and so and a wonderful mom to Madeline Elizabeth. I like to think. I mean, I still, I still want to do everything every other mom wants to do. I want yeah. to make my daughter proud of me. I yeah. want her to, you know, want to respect me and look up to me. Just when I'm speaking to her, I look up instead of down like you would to a normal twelve-year-old. Well, I know that from all of this, you um, have started a business to help other moms, parents, grandparents, all of those. Um, And I want you to share just real briefly about that because we could talk for a long, long period of time, but we need to in this episode but we'll we'll do another because this has been a great discussion a great conversation i'm so thankful that you're able to share it um madeline's story but share with us what you've kind of done in i'm going to say in her honor um to remember her um and to help others what is it that just really briefly what are you doing what have you established well, first of all, she did it. She did it. Okay. So uh, we, Madeline and I, co-founded the company. I I call myself the co-founder. She's the other co-founder um, of a company called Sharing Solace. And our whole mission is to help grievers grieve and lovers love their griever through technology-elevated, cast-alongable gifts that are wrapped in a community of strength and support. I love that. So maybe we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and on when I have you come back on, we will share how you do that. What do you think about that? Okay. So to conclude this episode, um, any words of encouragement, insight, things that you'd like to share with the listeners, things that you've, I mean, we've talked about some things already, um, but either wrap that up in a nice little bow or share something additional. One of the platitudes that I really don't like to hear is everything happens for a reason. Hmm. I could, I could talk for days about platitudes and 
give my own analogy on them and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to flip it on its head and say, everything happens. You choose to find the reason. And I'm going to add to that. And I think if you choose to find the reason, it will help you to move forward in life. And in this case, in your grief, and you do that in your time frame. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing from your heart, sharing Madeline Elizabeth with us, heard her her story, your journey. Um, it's been it was a rough one. It was a hard journey, but you're here to share and to help others um, on their journey. So I appreciate you so much for coming on um, to share that with with the listeners and myself. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. If you have enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please consider sharing it. And if you do share it on social media, tag me so that I can personally thank you because I really do appreciate uh, you sharing it. And this really is the best way that we can connect and support others on this journey. And also, if you can take a minute and write a review or comment on this episode or ask a question, those are the ways that I can continue to create valuable and supportive content for you and the other listeners. And of course, if you have not yet connected with me, I would love for you to find me on social media. On Facebook, you can find me at Teresa Werner Reiniger. On Instagram, Teresa Reiniger. And on both Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at Living After Grief. If you need support and are feeling alone on your journey, I am here to support you. I am looking forward to being with you again next week. So continue to share your story to help others feel inspired and to give them hope on their journey. Until next week, have a peaceful and blessed week.